Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. I'm going to be really honest with you and just start off and say that I tried really hard as I'm preparing for this message to come up with a way to start a sermon on January 2nd that doesn't start with New Year's resolutions. I put a lot of effort into it, and I couldn't do it. Okay, so I'm really frustrated with myself to begin this way, but I got to ask the question, how many of you have a resolution of any kind for 2022? Okay, more than last service. Last service, like nobody had a resolution for 2022. They're just not setting themselves up for disappointment, I guess. Uh, Survey last year, 68% of people admitted to giving up their resolution before the end of January. Seven out of 10 people and their resolutions didn't make it past January. That's probably not a surprise to us um, because we, we've seen the cycle, right, over and over again. So for those of you who, who've raised your hand, you have a resolution for 2022 already. Anybody who's broken their 2022 resolution already? Oh, okay. It's only the second day. I hope we could last a little bit longer than that. But what I'm curious about too is, is maybe there's some of us who've made a resolution of some kind that relates to our walk with Christ, or maybe you've started a Bible reading plan or you're committing to only listen to worship music or you want to pray more every day. Whatever it might be, uh, there's probably some of us in here with this idea of what we want our spiritual life to look like in 2022. I know for me, uh, in the past, every year, for a long time now, I've, I've had the resolution, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Anybody else tried that before? Um, okay, so full disclosure, I've only made it through one time. I want to share with you my, my secret tip. When you get to Leviticus, listen instead of read and put it on two times speed, okay? That's the only way I made it through, right? But that's kind of my concern with, with, with a resolution like this. It's a little bit my concern. I, you know, we laugh because I think we can relate to that unless you're one out here who, who has never uh, fallen short on a Bible reading plan that you've picked. But there's this idea for me that, that when I choose a plan like that, I, I get worried because it's not enough to just read your Bible. And I don't want to say that in like a shameful, you're not doing enough kind of a way. But I, I want to say it that, to say it's not enough to just read it, you also need to understand it. And there's a difference. You know, there's so many times as I'm reading through the Bible in a year that I didn't understand what I was reading. And I have to confess, I didn't care either. I just wanted to get through it so I could say, man, I read the whole Bible in a year. But it doesn't do any good if I, if I approach it like that. So I'm curious if we're going to be thinking about, you know, spending more time with the Lord this year, what would it look like instead of saying, I want to read, you know, this much of the Bible, I want to get through this much. What if we committed to try and understand everything that we did read? I think that would be so much more impactful, right? It's it's like, so what if you've read the whole Bible, but you can't remember what Ezekiel was talking about, and, and Job made no sense, and you listen to Leviticus at two times speed, maybe even did it while you're mowing the lawn, right? It's like, and you're just like, it's gone, Right? But what if you commit to understand everything you read in the Bible, right? So you come to a passage that you don't understand, and you're actually able to take the time to understand, right, maybe what what Job is talking about or why Leviticus might add beauty to the gospel, right? What if we could commit to understanding God's word instead of just getting through it? So today what I want to do is for us to dive in together a little bit and look at what does it look like to study God's word? What does it look like to come upon a passage and and to do a a little bit of work to come to what it means and to have a a proper understanding of it? So uh, let's pray as we dive in. Father, I thank you so much for your word. What an incredible gift uh, that we have to to be able to read scripture and and where we live to be able to read it so openly. 
Father, I pray you just bless us now and, and, and have your spirit guide us now as we seek to, uh, to, to dig into your word and your message to us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. I think this verse makes two distinctions that, that I think are really important. The first is that it tells us what scripture is good for, right? So as we talk about understanding God's word, it's important for us to know what, what, what is scripture good for, right? It uses this word profitable, like we can gain from scripture in these areas, right? It, it tells us we can learn from scripture, right? Scripture's profitable for teaching. It tells us that it's profitable for reproof or rebuke, right? What this means is, is scripture is good for telling you where you're wrong and how we can learn from it. But it's also profitable for correction, so just because scripture might point out an area of your life to you where you might be in the wrong, it doesn't just leave you there, right? It also offers correction, a way to go forward from there. It's also uh, profitable for training us in righteousness, right? Some of these words might be uh, a little bit self-explanatory, but verse 17 says that all those things are there so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This means, right, in order for us to be complete in Christ, scripture is all we need. Scripture is sufficient for living the Christian life, right? It's enough for us to, to, to wrestle through that. And if God's telling us that his words are enough for us, then we should absolutely be reading them. But we also should be seeking to understand them. The second distinction that this verse makes is subtle, but it's absolutely vital. It says all Scripture, all Scripture, Every word of the Bible is breathed out by God from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. Every single word is breathed out by God. So if every word in the Bible is inspired by God and we can profit from it in all these ways, again, I want to say, I don't think it's enough to just read it. I want us to understand it. And I want to pause for a second. I just want to say, I'm not up here saying this because I think your Bible's hard to understand or there's some secret code you have to crack to get to the message. It's not what I'm saying. I'm up here saying this because I actually believe each and every one of us can read and understand the Bible. I deeply desire that we would do that. So I want to I help us uh, get there a little bit because the sad reality is that it, it happens where we incorrectly understand the Bible's meaning or, or, uh, or we misinterpret it, right? So what does the Bible say about this? Well, James chapter one, uh, James writes, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I mean, James is literally saying, don't just read it, right? Don't just hear it. You gotta do it too. Right? In James chapter two, verse 18, he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And James isn't saying, look, you're, he's not saying you're saved by your works. He's not saying you have to earn your way to heaven. But what he's saying is that if you've been saved, there will be works. If you've been redeemed and you've experienced the grace of God, you will be changed. Right? Works are a, a result of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. But those works that are being done, they come out of our understanding of Scripture. They come out of our understanding of our relationship with God. That's why it's so important for us to not just read it, but to understand it as well. How many of you have ever been to a youth sporting event? 
Anybody ever watched youth sports? Okay, good amount of you. I'm talking like especially really little. But youth sports is one of the best places to witness this phrase, action without understanding. Okay? We all know that one kid who's got a ton of energy. Maybe she's just in her own world, but they got no understanding of the sport. Right? They might just be running laps around like wild. They might be pretending to be a pirate. I don't know what they're doing. Right? But they're not playing soccer. Right? They're there, giving it their all. I think it's a similar experience when we take action without understanding in our faith. It's kind of like holding up a flashlight and it's dark everywhere. Right? You're like, this is going to guide my path, but you haven't even put batteries in the flashlight. I think that's what it's like when we come to God's word. We just jump right in. We want to take action. We want to apply it to ourselves. But we haven't done any work to understand what it actually means and what it's saying. All right? Because we absolutely need to apply God's word to our life. That's what it's good for, right? Reproof, correction, teaching. So many verses in scripture talk about how, how uh, the Bible should guide our paths, right? Psalm 119 says, your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But that requires us to know what God is saying, first of all. So we're going to jump in. All right, I want to talk about how might we go about doing this. How do we come upon a passage of scripture and seek to understand it and not just read it? And today we're going to look at four areas of interest that will help us in understanding God's word. And before we jump in, I just want to say, these are just tools. I think they're really helpful tools, but they're just tools. At the end of the day, right, God's word is what is inspired, not these tools. So maybe you've learned these by a different name or you already do this naturally. They're just tools. I think they help us correctly understand the Bible. But our four areas we're going to look at are worldview, context, genre, and application. So let's start with worldview. What do we mean by this? Uh, worldview is defined as a particular philosophy of life or conception of the world. Why do some definitions use more complicated words than the word we're trying to define? I don't, that's just not helpful, right? Worldview simply means the way you view the world. Each of us has a worldview, right? Even if you don't think you have a worldview, well, hey, that's a particular way of looking at life. And that affects you. So you have a worldview, right? Many of us here probably have a Christian or biblical worldview that affects the way that we think about things like death or sexuality or morality, right? The list goes on and on. So worldview is just, it's a helpful term. Shows us that each of us view the world through a specific lens. That lens affects the way that we understand things. Someone whose worldview is affected by extreme poverty is going to view the world differently than somebody who grew up incredibly wealthy. And we know that but now we're just putting a word to it, right? Because our worldview can help or can deeply affect the way that we read or understand scripture. And I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. I just think it's something that we should be aware of as we come to scripture, right? Our, each of our worldviews has been developed through beliefs and experiences throughout our entire life. Because of that, we each bring with us these, these presuppositions when we sit down to read God's word, right? We, we bring assumptions or understandings that we already believe to be true no matter what we're about to read. I think we do this outside the Bible too. I see this all the time with like the news, right? Somebody sends you an article. You've already decided what you're gonna believe about that article before you even open it, right? Because we have these, these presumptions, these, these pre-understandings that we bring with us, right? We do it with, with scripture too and it's because it's based on our worldview, how we view the world, what we believe. Those things affect the way that we interpret things. So I wanna give an example. I think uh, Matthew 6, is a verse that I think is commonly misunderstood, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Typically, right, many people, especially Americans, are going to hear this verse, and we love that last half. I mean, all these things are going to be added to me? Let's go, right? Like, that's what I want, 
right? I actually heard a story of a man who, who gave his life to Christ because of this verse because he thought if he did, God was going to give him a bunch of things, right? But that comes from a worldview that's focused around ourselves. It comes from a worldview that, that's been affected by a culture that says we should only do things that directly benefit us and we should seek after our own happiness and take care of ourselves. It's the exact opposite of what this verse is saying. Right, so many of our worldviews have been so impacted by culture, it can be hard for us to, to read a passage like that and ask ourselves the question, what is Jesus really trying to say? How is my worldview, the way that I'm already convinced that life works, affecting how I'm reading the passage? Because if we're convinced that God is out there and he exists to make our life better, to make our life happier, to make our life easier, as many people do, right? And, and we believe maybe that's the only reason he exists. If we think that, then we're gonna come to this verse and there's a good chance we're gonna entirely miss the point of surrendering ourselves to God and dying to ourselves, and not looking out for our own interests but displaying a trust in God. So it's so important that we're aware of our own worldview when we come to reading scripture. And it's also important because, guys, the authors wrote with specific worldviews in mind as well. Take a New Testament author, for example. They're likely a middle-aged man who grew up in an ancient Near Eastern culture, maybe in a Jewish or Greco-Roman culture. Maybe they're like Paul, or, or may, yeah, maybe they're single like Paul. Maybe they're married like Peter. Maybe they had children, maybe they didn't, but each of those things are going to affect the way that they write their account. Right? That's why God chose them specifically. He intended it that way. But then you take me, right? When I come to scripture, I'm a 24-year-old white male. Grew up in an upper middle class white family in a small beach town in Southern California. I'm now married to an amazing and beautiful woman. We've got one daughter. My wife's pregnant with our second. Now, some of those things might be similarities between me and a biblical author. But most of my background's radically different than any biblical author. And that's okay. I just need to remember my experience of life and where I come from is different than the author's experience. And that's why God's given us his word. Part of why, right? To be this grounding truth through all of it, right? No matter where you grew up or, or who raised you or what you want out of life, the Bible is true about you and for you. You don't even have to accept that it's true about you. So it's important when we come to understand it, we recognize how our own worldview might be impacting us in both positive and negative ways. And I think uh, to do that, we can ask ourselves a couple questions. First might be like, where might I be reading myself into this passage? Or how might someone different than me understand this passage differently? How might the original audience understand this differently than me? Essentially, what we're talking about here is context, right? That's our next area of interest. When we come to study scripture, I want you to remember always context, context, context. It's so important for everything we do in life. Raise your hand if you ever heard something out of context that made you upset or made you just be like, what is wrong with those people, right? I think we've all been there. All right, I'm gonna read you a couple quotes pulled out of context, okay? Uh, don't tell me where your mind goes when you hear these. Uh, why don't you scratch my back for a change? All right, we're kind of like, okay, this is weird, right? This is a kid uh, talking to his dog, right? But without the context, we're, there's a whole bunch of things we could think of. Uh, maybe another one. This is a quote. It says, uh, we're not here to have fun, okay? Maybe you might be like, okay, we're, this is a dad talking to his son in the middle of Disneyland, okay? So the context for these things is really important for us to understand, right? Uh, I'm sure we've all been in perfectly normal conversations where we thought to ourselves, you know, if somebody heard what I was talking about right now, they'd probably think I was really weird, right? But the conversation's totally normal, but without that context, Right, it's kind of like you're watching a movie or, or maybe your friends are watching a movie. You've never seen it. You've never heard of it before and you jump in to watch the middle 15 minutes of the movie. You're probably gonna be sitting there. If you're like me, you're sitting there like, who's that? Who's that? Why are they doing that? 
Why don't they just do this? And your friend's like, get out of here, please. Because you don't understand the storyline. You've got no buildup. You don't know what makes the middle part make sense. The same thing is true with scripture, right? Once you've examined your own worldview, right? You look at what you might bring to the text that affects you. It's really important to look at that passage or verse in context as well. A popular verse that's taken out of context often is Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In fact, some professional athletes who will not be named have even shortened this and said, I can do all things, right? But without the context of what Paul is talking about and who writes it, why he's, why he's writing it to them, why it might be important to them, we could be left with this misunderstanding of Philippians 4.13 that God is promising to equip us to be able to do anything. That's not what the verse is talking about at all. Right, so it's really important when we look at context, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the cultural context, the historical context, and the textual context. Those words are kind of official, but all we mean by cultural and historical context is that you want to observe what the passage meant to the original audience. Okay, because God's word is inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's timeless, understanding what it meant to the original audience is understanding what it means now. Right? The, our context might change. The application might change. But the meaning of God's word doesn't change. And God is the same yesterday and today and forever. So to do this, we might ask ourselves some questions, right? If we want to gain some cultural insight, we might say, what, what cultural standards or norms were practiced in this time that might be referred to? Maybe they would affect how someone would understand this. Or what were some things that were widely valued by the culture or of the author or the audience at the time this was written? Maybe if you want some historical insight, we could ask, you know, what's happening in the world at the time that this is written? That would impact the author or impact those hearing it. Or uh, what, what historical experiences would the author have to look back on that may have shaped them as an individual or shaped them as a society? Right? It's just asking a couple simple questions, maybe spending a minute or two and thinking about that. I think that that, that uh, really will, will uh, give you some greater understanding. When we come to textual context, I think this might be the most important piece of understanding context. It might sound official, it could even sound daunting at first, but all I mean by textual context is that we don't want to look at a verse just on its own. We don't want to just pull a verse out of a, out of a paragraph. When we come to a verse that we want to understand, or maybe we have questions about, it's important we read the surrounding verses as well. Right? So maybe we ask a question like, how does this verse fit into the rest of the passage that it's in? Or how does this passage fit into the rest of the chapter? How does this chapter fit into this book as a whole? How does this book as a whole fit into God's story that he's telling throughout all 66 books? Right, again, it's asking a couple simple questions as we sit down and as you read and study scripture and you begin to ask questions like that, I think you find that God's word comes alive even more. It might be clunky or, or awkward at first. It might even feel a little bit like homework. Right, but as you do it, it becomes so much more natural and it becomes easier. It actually becomes really fun. And while it's intimidating to start sometimes, I think it makes approaching any part of scripture easier. I think you'd be surprised at how asking a few simple questions and spending a couple minutes looking for those answers can really make the text come alive and fill us with an understanding of God's word. So we've, we've looked at our own worldview, right? We recognize what, what we bring to the table. And remember, that's not bad. What you bring to the table is not bad. It's just unique, and you should be aware of that, right? But then we've also, uh, we've read the passage. Maybe we've read it more than once. Maybe we asked a couple of questions. We're starting to understand the culture, right? We, we got some historical insight. So we're kind of like, okay, what's next, right? We're feeling confident. Our third area of interest is really more of just a quick check. Okay, it's a quick check. It's genre. 
Genre is simply a type of literature or a category. In scripture, there's a handful of genres, right? We've got narrative, we've got prophecy, we've got apocalyptic literature, we've got wisdom literature, right? It goes on and on, right? But genre is really important to understand before you, you come to the meaning of a passage because different genres are interpreted differently. Again, this is something that we know, but sometimes I think we forget that all scripture is not to be read the exact same way. For example, the book of Proverbs is wisdom literature, right? Whereas the book of John is a New Testament historical narrative. So when you read a proverb, right, you recognize their, their wise sayings, right? It's not called promises, it's called proverbs, right? So they're, they're wise sayings, right? When you read that, it's gonna apply to your life in a different way than when you read in the Gospel of John that Jesus promises eternal life to anyone who believes in him. They're both equally inspired by God, but they affect your life in a different way because they're different kinds of teachings, right? So the same is true for us when we sit down to study God's word. If we come to a parable, we gotta recognize there's probably a lot of imagery, maybe some symbolism. There's a lot of storytelling, right? But when we sit down to a letter of Paul, we recognize he's probably not teaching a parable, right? He's probably not telling a story. He, he tends to just get right to it, right? And when we read prophecy, maybe we remember this might not be applicable to my life in certain ways because it's a different type of text, right? So as, as, as you're sitting down to study, it's a quick check and say, what, what type of passage is this? You know, what, what kind of bearing does this have on my life? Because the genre of, pass, of the passage always impacts how it applies to our life. And I think that's what we're after, right? We want to know the meaning of God's word, but not just so that we can know it. We want our lives to be changed and for us to be people who impact the community around us for Christ and who live out our faith in God. We don't want to be like the man in the book of James who, who looks in a mirror and forgets what he looks like. We want to be hearers and doers of the word. But we also want those actions to be fueled by a correct understanding. We want our works of faith to come out of a proper relationship with God. And that's why application is last in this process. Right? Before we can apply scripture to our lives, we've got to know what it means. So I want to share an example. I think we could do this together, uh, work through a passage together. Uh, let's, we'll use John chapter 10. So John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, here we go. We've got a verse, right, standing alone by itself. And at first glance, without taking any of the steps we've just walked through, I probably might read this and come to the conclusion that Jesus is saying, if I follow him, he's going to make my earthly life awesome, right? I mean, who doesn't want abundant life, right? That sounds epic, right? But let's walk through our steps together really quick, okay? So worldview, right? I, Noah Reed, bring to the text an improper view of God sometimes because of a culture that I've grown up in that says that God only exists to make my earthly life awesome. Now, he might very well do that. I hope your guys' lives are awesome. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But my culture wants me to think that that's the only reason that God exists. And so that's in my worldview. So I gotta test that against what scripture says. And so I'm just gonna keep that in mind as I head into context. I'm just gonna keep that in mind. As I head into context, right, with this verse specifically, I want to start with maybe some textual context because I've only got one verse, right? I don't want to come to a conclusion about it without looking at, more pas uh, without looking at more of the passage. So if you read a couple of the surrounding verses, right, we come into verse seven and Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, for I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So just by adding in a few verses, we see that Jesus is talking about himself versus other false teachers or maybe false religions, right? uh, These verses show us Jesus is talking about salvation. He's using a lot of metaphor, right? He calls himself the door. He, He refers to us as sheep. So we see that when he says anyone who enters by him, is going to come in and out and find passion. He's talking about salvation and eternal life. The very next sentence, right, is the thief has come to kill and steal and destroy, but he comes that we might have abundant life. He's talking about uh, a spiritual and eternal life, right? Not blessings here on earth, but if we look at the textual context, this passage is about an eternal life that Jesus came to bring and a spiritual reality that he wants for you now, right? So, so especially when you consider the last verse we read is Jesus talking about him laying his life down, for those that we might find that life. And so we might move on then to, to cultural context and we might say, well, what cultural standards or norms would have been practiced? Well, at this time, I think a lot more people then than, than do in this room would have understood the relationship between sheep and shepherds, right? So if you wanted to get some cultural insight, maybe you spend 60 seconds on Google looking into the relationship between sheep and shepherds and what that might have looked like. I think that might give us an understanding of why Jesus used that illustration. And if we wanted to gain some historical insight, right, Jesus said, all who come before me have been thieves. And well, who's he talking about? Who's come before him? Does his audience know who came before him? Should we know? Do we need to know? Right, so it's just asking that simple question, right? I think it would lead us to look a little bit deeper at Jesus' words, right? And maybe helpful to understand that Jesus is claiming to be the only one who can save you. He's claiming to be the only way to eternal life. Not necessarily awesome life here on earth, but eternal life in the future that's more abundant than you could ever know and a spiritual reality for you now. So we've looked at the text a little bit, right? We recognize that uh, I myself might naturally approach this text in a way that makes me feel like God wants to give me something, Uh, but we've also broadened our perspective a little bit. We looked at a couple of the surrounding verses. Maybe we've done a little bit of research on sheep and shepherds. Maybe we've uh, uh, tried to figure out who Jesus might be referring to, right? So now it comes time, we're gonna quick check our genre. Okay, we're, we're going to say, okay, Gospel of John, it's a, it's a narrative, historical narrative. It tells the story of Jesus' life. And specifically in John 10, Jesus is teaching. Right? He's using symbolism. He's using some parable, which we recognized because none of us in here actually think that God thinks we are literal sheep. Right? So we got that part. Right? We checked it. We're good. Um, we're not misinterpreting the genre. Right? We've been careful. We understand that. And after we've quick checked that, right, we come to like, this meaning of the passage. Right, we, we come to see that this passage is not at all about earthly blessings or, or abundant life here on earth, like we may have originally thought after just reading one verse. But it's about Jesus laying down his life for those whom he loves so that they might have eternal life. It's the gospel message of Christianity. It's not a promise of an easy life or a lack of suffering. It's the promise of an eternal, unbroken relationship with God that's only available to you through Jesus Christ. But you see how if we just jump into verse 10, we might come to a different understanding than the one that we just arrived at. Uh, now, once we've understood that passage's meaning, that's when we can apply it to our lives. So this is the part that like, we get excited about. This is what we're trying to work towards, right? Uh, a professor of mine during my time at Biola used to always ask us, how does this passage warn, rebuke, correct, motivate, comfort, or encourage the Christian? There's a lot of words there, right? But the idea is, We can ask this question more trying to figure out how does this apply? How am I warned here? How am I comforted? How am I motivated? 
right? But we ask that question after we've done the work of coming to understand what the passage is saying, right? Because God's word isn't given to us just so that we might be knowledgeable or so that we might understand it, right? We talked about this in the beginning. It's given to us so that we might be taught and corrected, rebuked and trained, made complete, right? It's supposed to move us uh, to life change. It's supposed to move us to become more like Christ and to make him known to the world around us. However, what's, what's dangerous is when we try to take action without understanding, right? Maybe we lack an understanding of our calling. Maybe we lack some understanding of our God. Maybe we lack an understanding of who the Bible says we, is, we are, right? But that's why it's important for us to understand God's word, not just to read it, but to understand it and to study it, to long for it to work in our life. So that's why my challenge to you today on January 2nd is not to challenge you to read the entire Bible in 2022. It's not my challenge. My challenge isn't even for you to try and read as much of it as you can. Now, don't get me wrong. I really hope you read your Bible every single day. I do. But more than just getting through it, I want you to understand what you read. I want you to take an action in your faith that means something an action in your faith that's fueled by a, a right relationship with God and a proper understanding of, of his relationship and his word and his message to you. Right? Don't just be a hearer of the word. We want to be a doer and a hearer of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that you've given us your word. Father, I ask right now as, as we talk about uh, trying to understand your word and, and sink our teeth into uh, this wonderful book that you've given us, God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us. That, that uh, any fear or, or, or anything like that would, would just be cast out. God, that we would, we would know that you've given us your word so that we might know you more. So that we might be equipped to, to, to live a life of discipleship to you. So Father, I pray your spirit would just be uh, active in this room right now. God, I pray for each and every one of us that, that 2022 would be marked by a deeper understanding of Scripture, a deeper love for you, a, a deeper understanding of our calling in this life. Father, we uh, give you the rest of this time. Lord, we, we give you all the glory, all the attention. Father, you alone are worthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.